Don't mistake procrastination with patience. And I've been guilty of this. I mistook being patient with procrastination or just stagnation. Set goals, even if they're small, and knock them down and knock them down in a period of time and then move on to the next goal. Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries, we talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I'm your host, Cherie Prince. We are joined today by Brian Clayton. Brian is a serial entrepreneur and CEO of GreenPal. Brian, thanks for being with us. Sheree, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. When I was looking at your profile, anytime I see serial entrepreneur, I'm just always intrigued on how you balance it all and the order in which you started some of your companies. So tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So today I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called GreenPal. GreenPal is an online marketplace that works like DoorDash or a Rappi if you are in South America or Uber or Postmates but for lawn care services. So if you need to get a grass cutting service, rather than calling all over on Facebook or something like that, you just download GreenPal and pop your address in and someone comes out and takes care of the chore for you. And GreenPal is a 10 year overnight success. My two co-founders and I have been at this for a little over a decade and around 300,000 people now use the app to get lawn mowing done. And before GreenPal, I actually had a lawn mowing business. I, I mowed grass for 15 years and Started out as me and a push mower, a little small lawn mowing business into a real landscaping company, eventually getting that to $10 million a year in revenue and 150 employees and sold it. And then after I sold it, I started GreenPal. So 22 years, one industry uh, focused on how do I make lawn mowing as easy as it can be. Oh, I love that. So tell us about the strategies you used to acquire your first 1,000 customers for GreenPal. There's a saying that first-time founders worry about product. They worry about what product they're building, what business they're building. But second time founders worry about distribution. Second time founders have the scars and understand that that actually is not the creation of the product. It's not the creation of the business. That's the hard thing. It's the sales. It's the getting of customers. It's getting the product in the hands of people that need it is the harder thing. And it may be twice as hard or even 10 times as hard. <laughs> we got our first thousand customers by by any means necessary. And we passed door hangers out all over Nashville, Tennessee, where we're from, my two co-founders and I, we passed out several hundred thousand door hangers all over Nashville, begging people to use this new app we built to get a lawn mowing service. And that's how we figured out how, if we were solving a problem that people wanted to pay for. And that's how we figured out who our customers actually were and what the demographics were. And that informed our strategy today, which is Google organic search is how we get most of our customers today. Awesome. Now you mentioned you have two co-founders. One thing that I coach people on is business structures. We talk about partnerships. How did the three of you come together and decide to do this? And what sort of business structure did you guys look at to form this company? Yeah, we got very lucky. Most of the time, bad co-founder dynamics 
torpedo a business more than anything. And so I always recommend to fellow entrepreneurs to try to go it alone first. Try to take the business as far as you can by yourself. And, and as time goes on, you can contract out the help that you need, or you can hire freelancers, or you can hire employees to help you with some of the burden. You don't necessarily have to take on a co-founder, but I got extremely lucky. I was looking for two individuals that had a chip on their shoulder like I did that wanted something more out of life, wanted to prove that they could build something big. And that's all I was looking for. And I got very lucky and found two, two guys that I had known for a very long time. And they wanted to be a part of a big project. They wanted to build something that thousands and hundreds of thousands and one day a millions of people would use. And that was all we needed because we took care of everything else just through hard work and determination and grit. We taught ourselves how to build software. We taught ourselves how to do things like SEO, taught ourselves how to design software. And so I think if you can find a co-founder who is just as crazy as you are, who is just as dedicated to the idea and the vision as you are, that a lot of these other problems can work themselves out. Oh, that's good. But what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are struggling to raise capital? Because finding a partner may not be as hard, but sometimes funding the business. Yeah. But a lot of times new founders will use lack of access to capital as a reason to never start a business. And I think that trips up a lot of folks from getting started. So a lot of times I hear, I would start this business if I could just get the money to do it. And you don't have to ask for permission to start a business. You don't necessarily need capital to start a business. You can take a business as far as you can just through hustle and just through resourcefulness. And that will attract capital. If you can take a business all the way from idea to prototype to maybe a handful of customers, then capital will chase you. And so one of my favorite quotes is from Steve Martin. And he says, be so good, they can't say no. And, and I think you kind of have to carry on that mind you when you want to go the route of raising capital. You need to de-risk the business as much as you can. And you need to be so good that investors can't say no. So we have the right co-founders, if any. We know how to raise capital. What are some of the key skills and qualities you look for when you're hiring new employees? And how do you evaluate those candidates? The first few employees that you hire for your new business, maybe even the first five or 10, are going to make or break the success. And so what I do is, is I look for what I call romantics and pirates and nothing else. And so what I mean by that is I look for people who are romantics in the sense of they are romanticized by the vision of the business. They really want to be a part. Of it. They want to see it exist in the world. They are passionate about the vision and what it is the business is doing. And that takes care of a lot of the other stuff. Or pirates. These are people that are just willing to succeed by any means necessary. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes it can mean not necessarily breaking the rules, but it can mean thinking outside the box and working with whatever resources you have to get an objective done. And so you're looking for people who embody those polarizing ends of the spectrum. You don't want somebody in the middle that just wants to work a job, wants a cushy salary, and wants to work 40 hours a week because you won't make it. It's, it's just too hard in the early days. And so those first four or five hires need to be unique, crazy individuals just like yourself. One thing that I thought about when you were talking about launching the app, in your business, I know you go through seasons. How do you guys manage seasons when the weather is challenging and people can't take advantage of landscaping options? Everything that's challenging about your business usually is what makes it durable and usually what's, is what makes it valuable. So the seasonality of our business 
is it makes it challenging, but that also wards off competitors because they will look at it and say, oh, that's a seasonal business. I don't want to get into that. You have to look for ways to solve that problem. And managing the cash flow of the business is one of the challenging things about a seasonal business. And so you have nine months out of the year in this industry to make you all of your revenue. And that's the way it works out for us. And we have to quite literally save money to get through the off season. When we started, it was a six month season. And then we kind of looked for ways, okay, well, we can add leaf removal and we can add snow removal and gutter cleaning and all of these other services extend the season. So you want to tackle it two ways. You want to save money to get through the off season, but then you also want to look for ways to make it less seasonal. You're never going to make it a year round business, but maybe you can reduce it to 10 months out of the year rather than six. Okay. With you guys working with the seasonal business and also technology, what role has data played in the growth of GreenPal? And how do you use that to help your decision making? Yeah, that data, um, a lot of times, you know, as a small first time founder of a small business, you can think, well, I don't have any data. And so data doesn't apply to me. Data is for the big boys. And the thing is, data, data can be five customer surveys. And that's data. And you need to use that data to understand what it is about your business that's working and what isn't. Data can be calling up the last 10 people you did business with and asking them if they had a good experience. Or it could be calling the 10 people who don't do business with you anymore and figuring out why it is they decided not to do business with you anymore. So you're always collecting that data because you have to let the data speak. Otherwise, one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to make decisions that are wrong or you're going to get lucky because you're just shooting from the hip. You're making decisions based off uh, your gut, which is fine in the very, very early days. But as time goes on and you're trying to grow a business, you have to collect data, even if it's just qualitative data, customer surveys, discussions with customers, customer conversation to inform your decision-making. And then as time goes on, you have dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of customers. You need to collect that data, organize it, and understand how to leverage it to make better decisions. Okay. And see, that is taking us to a very good point. Because now that you have the data, how do you actually measure customer satisfaction? And you're looking at the data, and it looks like you may have some customers who may be unhappy. What do you do with that information once you actually have it and organize it? Yeah. So that customer feedback is not happening to you as a founder. It's happening for you. It's free, oh, R- yeah. it's free R&D. It really, the companies spend thousands of dollars on research and development, trying to research what customers want. If they, if the CEO would just sit in the customer support phone line for an hour a day, he or she would get free R&D because your customers are always telling you what they wish you would do differently or better or change about the business. So you have to frame it. A lot of people look at customer service and customer feedback as a cost. And really it's an investment. It's something that's coming back to you. That's guiding you. It's guiding you on better decision-making. It's guiding you on strategy. And so that's how we reframe it. It's kind of how we look at it. And you don't have to overcomplicate this stuff. In the early days, you need to be doing all of your own customer support. The email needs to go to your email. The phone number needs to be your cell phone number. You need to be doing all of your customer support. And so that customer feedback is guiding you on what you need to be focusing on, what you need to be improving about the business. But then as time goes on, you can run MPS surveys, which is net promoter score, which is a simple question of how likely are you to recommend this service to a friend or family member. And that simple question can help you understand, am I upsetting more people than I'm making happy or, or, or how am I doing? And if you don't run that survey, you don't really know. 
And then the other thing is you as the founder need to be looking at all the reviews that are out there about your business. But what are people saying uh, about you on the five top places people can leave reviews? Whether it be Yelp, Trustpilot, Facebook, Google Places, you need to be monitoring this. You need to be reading those. You need to be responding to those because that's free R&D for what you need to be focusing on. So let's talk a little bit about pricing. What is your approach to pricing and what do you kind of look at for your rates? Yeah, when we first started, we thought that we were trying to deliver the cheapest way to get this service done. We thought we were trying to figure out a way to save homeowners money on lawn maintenance and outdoor landscaping maintenance. And when we first rolled out the first version of the product, it was oriented around that. And then after we talked, started talking to our customers, they would always tell us, I don't really care if it's $5 cheaper a mowing or even $10 cheaper a mowing. I just want Johnny's lawn service to show up on Thursday when he's supposed to. And so then we started to understand that, no, actually our pricing strategy was all wrong. It wasn't about delivering the cheapest price. It's about delivering speed and reliability and consistency. That's what homeowners and customers and consumers wanted. And so we wouldn't have known that had we not been fanatical about talking to our customers. The first hundred people that used the service all had my cell number and I would talk to them seven days a week. And so I think first, you know, customer feedback can inform your pricing strategy, what your value proposition is, how you're thinking about pricing. And then so after, after you get to a, a, a plateau, then you need to be constantly experimenting. Okay, let me experiment with different presentations of price and let me experiment with different pricing points. And let me give this segment a different pricing point than this segment and measure what the difference is because you would be surprised. A lot of business owners underprice themselves when they're leaving money on the table and when most consumers would be willing to pay more for a consistent quality service. We can't talk about price without talking about competition. How do you balance the need to innovate and stay ahead of the competition versus the need to maintain a strong focus on your core business? Yeah, for us, it's not who you compete against, it's what you compete against. And so what I mean by that is it's not like Netflix is competing against Disney Plus, and they, they do, but really Netflix is competing against TikTok and Netflix is competing against YouTube. What do I compete against? Not necessarily who and what are the other use cases that I compete against? So for us, we're the easiest way to get a lawn mowing service in, in the United States, hands down. Um, there's a couple of other services that offer a similar offering. And then there's Angie's List, Home Advisor, Thumbtack. And yes, we do compete against them, but not really. What we compete against is the neighbor high school kid doing the yard or mowing the yard yourself or you know going through a friend or family recommendation or uh, just letting the grass not get mowed and letting it get four feet tall. That's what we compete against, that status quo. And so we don't really spend a lot of our time deconstructing what the competition is doing. We figure out ways to compete with what we're competing against and how to better compete against those use cases uh, more so than what our competitors are doing. What role does the social media play in growing your business? Yeah, a lot of people, uh, especially in the early days, will waste a lot of time on social media. They think it's the important thing with their business. Oh, I've got to get a Pinterest account going and a TikTok and a Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And the thing is, is like that stuff really doesn't matter unless that's your main channel for how you reach customers. If you have a fashion brand and you're introducing a brand new line of sports apparel or something, then yeah, TikTok and Instagram are going to be your best channels. And that's how you get customers. But 
if you're in a, in a business where you're directly getting customers from social media, then you don't really need to worry about it for a while because you need to focus on other things. You need to focus on how you're going to get customers and how you're going to keep them. And, but then as time goes on and you start to build a real business, I've made this mistake. You start to think, well, I'm not getting new customers from social media. Therefore, I don't need to worry about it at all. And the thing is, you kind of have to at a certain point, maybe by, at level three or four of the game, because customers that are considering doing business with you are doing a verification check on you on social media. It's like, okay, what does their Facebook page look like? What does their Instagram page look like? What are they saying on Twitter? And if those things are crickets, if it's a ghost town, then your business is going to look fake and it's going to look like a scam. And so for me, it's not necessarily an activation and an acquisition channel. It's not necessarily how we get customers. It's an activation channel. It's like, okay, customers are coming to the front door. They're checking us out on Facebook just to make sure that we're legit. Now they feel comfortable putting in their credit card into the system. Oh, that's so good. So I imagine, how large did you say your staff is? Because how do you keep the staff motivated? Yeah, our team is 47 people now. And the main way you keep the staff motivated is the higher motivated people. I've learned that you can't motivate an unmotivated person. And one way to do that is like you're hiring people who have something to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove that they can do X, Y, or Z in life. And that's just who they are. And they want to join your team. They want to join your mission. You don't want to hire the person that maybe they have a six figure job somewhere else. And they're used to coming in at 10 and leaving at three and they don't have a track record of starting new things and taking on new projects and creating something out of nothing. Like you're looking for people who are just motivated by nature. And that's what works for me. And I don't really want to grow this company beyond about 75, 80, maybe hundred people. And so I think you can run that strategy up to that point. Once you start getting hundreds of employees, you got to figure out a way to to keep people motivated with a carrot and stick method. Okay. I'm trying to inspire and motivate you, but if you don't perform, here's the stick. So that's one way to do it. I don't like doing that. But so for us, I try to hire motivated people and, and not demotivate them. If you had one piece of advice to give an entrepreneur on how to play big faster, what would it be? Don't mistake procrastination with patience. So a lot of times folks will well, just trust the process and be patient. It takes time. And it does. I mean, it's taken us 10 years to build green power to 300,000 people using it. But a lot of times, and I've been guilty of this, I mistook being patient with procrastination or just stagnation. Set goals, even if they're small, and knock them down and knock them down in a period of time and then move on to the next goal. You have to like anchor that patience against actual metrics and milestones that are usually related to number of customers and number of how much sales are coming through the business. If somebody wants to contact you or find out more about GreenPal, how can they reach you? Yeah, GreenPal.com or download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store or anybody want to hit me up, reach me on LinkedIn or find me on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. You can find me on Instagram with that handle. I'm going to add all of those links to the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And until next time, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.